You are listening to 757 Bytes, where we talk about innovation and entrepreneurship in the 757 community and beyond. To learn more about the 757 CoLab network of organizations, visit 757angelsgroup.com, 757accelerate.org, 757startupstudios.org, and be sure to connect with us through our social media channels. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of 757 Bytes. I'm your host, Hunter Walsh, and today we are in for a treat. Joining us, we have the dynamic duo of John Paris, partner at Williams Mullen, and Paul Hirschbiel, former venture capitalist. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Hunter. Good to be here. John, how did you get involved into entrepreneurship, specifically angel investing? Um, the first time I did it was 1985. I was working for a guy named Mr. Burke, Steve Burke, who ended up going to uh, the SEC. And he he said, uh, I was thinking about doing real estate. And he said, no, nah, I think you should do corporate. And I want you to meet a friend of mine. His name was Mr. Pickens, who was his client, Boone Pickens. And he wanted to talk about a young lawyer meeting somebody who could like help his career. And so I got I started sort of at the top. <laughs> and then from there, it's just been ever since then, just uh, getting to know people and helping them out. How about you, Paul? Oh, goodness. I started with uh, forming a venture capital firm in New York City back in 1983 with four of the partners. I think we were the second venture firm in New York. And from then, I've just been in venture capital or private equity investing. So y'all have been in angel investing before it was the mainstream that it is today. Before it was called angel <laughs> investing, yes. <laughs> what did y'all refer to it way back when? Uh, risky. <laughs> you know, it, it changed a little bit. What happened for me was up until .com, I didn't really see it. Um, .com, you started seeing it because people started co-investing. And, you know, before they went to go see Hirschbill, they were saying we're worth $100 million. And people would say, sure, why not? And they'd start putting money in. That's when it really started for me as, a, as an everyday kind of thing. Interesting. Um, that flash forward to right around 2014, that uh, y'all, while wearing many hats and deeply involved in civic, community, business ventures, decided and were the two leads in starting 757 Angels. Can you walk us through uh, from 2014 to ultimately hiring the inaugural executive director in the early years of the Angels? The inaugural and continually wonderful director of <laughs> of 757 Angels. Um, this really goes back to the Hamnodes Community Foundation. The foundation historically had done large grants to charities, lots of bricks and mortar grants, but they did something really unique for a foundation. They said, we need to look at the community and see what is necessary. And the one thing that we came up with as a board, I was on the board of the Hamnodes Community Foundation for many, many years, was uh, we needed to focus on the regional economy. We were way too dependent on the military tourism, and the ports, and we needed to diversify that economy. And so we as a board came up with a strategy of let's, let's form some task forces and see where we, where we go with this. There were four task forces formed. One was workforce development. One was industry clusters, i.e. looking at not those three major industries, but other clusters where we might have either the academic or some businesses growing in it so that we could support those clusters to grow and diversify. Um, leadership, how do we make sure we have the right leaders to run 
you know, a diversified economy and entrepreneurship. And because of my background, I kind of raised my hand and said, okay, I'll take that one on. So we put together, John was on it. It was a group of 17 individuals. We had venture capitalists, we had entrepreneurs, we had civic leaders, we had business leaders, and we had service providers like John. And the idea was when I was putting this group together, I wanted a group that had gravitas, that when we came out with our recommendations, that it was going to have the right people behind it. So hopefully we'd move forward. So we started, I think, in February of 2014. We met until September of 2014, monthly and then bi-monthly meetings. But we set some goals at the beginning for what we wanted to to come out. One, we wanted to come out with some shovel-ready projects, and I'll get to that, and John can take over at that point. Two, we wanted to come up with ideas that did build the regional economy. So that meant focusing on businesses, and we were industry agnostic, but focusing on growth businesses um, that would add to the economy. Hence, Main Street businesses probably don't. You know, a, a restaurant that's not a chain or a a hair salon that's not a chain. Those were not what we wanted businesses that derived the majority of their revenues from outside of the region. Hence, we were able to grow the regional economy. A couple of other things uh, we also knew, and, and John was great in understanding this part of it. There was an ecosystem here, the entrepreneurial ecosystem, but it was not very well developed and there were a lot of issues with it. There were some wonderful successes, take Dollar Tree, wonderful successes, but there were some huge failures, um, well-publicized failures. And something that I notice in this environment, John particularly, you know, brought this up, is the one thing where you've got a, a entrepreneurial ecosystem that's successful is people have to know that failure is an option. You expect to fail. You know, entrepreneurs should fail in one or two businesses before they're successful. Here, failure in one business was looked upon, particularly when the press got a hold of it, as really negative. So we need to change the culture of, of that. So there were a lot of goals we had going into it. Now, coming out of it, at the end of it, we came up with three shovel-ready projects, two of which are in operation at this point in time, and one never really pulled together. The one that didn't pull together was called E64 project. I think that was mm-hmm. uh, up and down Interstate 64. The idea was to bring together in some sort of format all the incubators and accelerators. There weren't many, I don't think there were any accelerators at that point, but there were six or seven kind of incubators around, but they weren't very well connected. And that was one idea. Uh, the second was 757 Connected. That did grow. That is what Start Wheel is. Uh, it was 757 Connected to connect the entire community around a website and a podcast as well and, and weekly newsletters um, has done very, very well. And the third one was 757 Angels. And so with that, I kind of turn it over to John because John was um, very much a, a part of getting that off the ground. Uh, I, I will say before I turn it over to John, the best hire I ever did in my life was Monique Adams. I was at her oldest daughter's graduation party and I was sitting with Monique and I knew Monique, I've known Monique for years and years. I knew her husband since he was born effectively. Um, And I knew that she had a good background in finance and I knew she had one daughter going off to college, another one soon. I said, Monique, you ready to get back involved in something? And so I started talking to her about this and it grew into what it is today. And with that, I'll turn it over to John. I knew Monique really well as, as well, although I didn't know her as well as Paul. We had come up with an idea of how we might want to work this thing, which is a little different, which I'll get to in a minute. But I do want to start with Monique because everything starts with Monique. And um, she'd worked for um, 
I guess it was called Sovereign, maybe maybe Virginia National Bank back then. And she was an investment banker. I mean, she knew what she was doing. She could do spreadsheets. She had done all the hard work associated with being a great banker. And I worked with her on two different companies, TFC and then the Family Channel. And, and she was impressive. When we were thinking about bringing somebody in, I wasn't sure who to bring in. And Paul said he had somebody. And I hadn't seen Monique in a long while. I said, well, who is it? And he said, well, I can't tell you. And I go, well, well, that sucks. And um, so eventually he did. And I was like, wow, wow. And that's, it's, she's never stopped wowing us ever since the first day. Agreed. Since the first day. So, so, it, so what was this? I mean, Paul hit on the, the economy. There was, there was definitely an early stage economy in town. Um, it was hurt by a couple of investments in particular in dot-com era. And a lot of people got burned and it was tough to bring people in. There were still some deep pocketed folks that like things. And it was important that you knew somebody like Paul or somebody who, who knew these people if you wanted to raise money. When this thing started, the idea was that it would no longer have to rely upon those folks. But to make it work, we wanted those folks to be attracted to it because we knew that angel groups were judged by the amount of money they invest in companies. So we, we started off very intentional to make our group one that would be attractive to the high net, highest of net worths and, and those that are just barely accredited investors. What we did there was we knew, I knew, I'd been very frustrated dealing with angel groups around the state. They were, I won't name any of them. But you never knew when they would get to you, and you never got any money from them. I mean, it was sort of like a waste of time, and it was very frustrating. So I finally went to one of the people that ran one of these, and I asked them, because it was a town that I knew well, and I said, so where are those rich people that live out in the hills? Are they members? She said, oh, no, no, they're not members. And I said, well, have you tried to get them to be members? She says, yeah, I've, I've tried. I said, well, how come they don't join? And she says, well, they always complain about the 20% carried interest. They, they say that people will come see them anyway. So why be a part of an angel group and pay 20% to somebody when I'm going to get their attention anyway? So Paul and I were saying, hmm, okay, so we got to do something different. How can we pay for this? And that led to our fee structure. That was sort of the key at the beginning. We were able to get an attract. A couple of them came sort of kicking and screaming, but, but they, they, they became part of it, and, and their investments have, have had a big part of the reason why you see, if you measure success by money invested, they've been very important to that. Was there a reason in the early days that you chose to structure the angels as an angel group as opposed to a fund? That's the, that's the carried interest. It, it, it could have been. In fact, I will say this right before, Paul, you remember this. There was an effort by a couple people, excellent, very qualified people, to do a fund. And we held off, if you recall, on, on starting the network because we didn't want to step on their toes. And they were trying really hard to raise like $7, 8000000 million. And, and one of the high net worth people that I'm close to had committed a certain amount of money to that fund to help the economy. But it was dependent upon them getting to a certain level. And they were unable to get there. And I think it was because it was a new thing. It was, it was something people weren't so sure how that would work. So we waited and then when that when those guys decided to go do something else, and they're both of them are pillars of the community still, we st we kicked in with the angel network to do it as a fund based. I'm sorry, a fee based network instead of a carry base. Yeah, one thing I want to go back um, to make sure that people understand the rationale behind angels that and and John was very. Um, aware of this is in our community, there's lots of friends and family money. 
when a company gets big enough, it can attract money from outside sources. But it was that gap that we didn't have anything filling it, whether it was a fund or angel network or whatever, there was nothing filling that gap. So you'd have these companies, and unless the friends and families had a lot of money, to, to push it to that point where they're Series A, Series B, where they've got good revenues and they can attract a venture capitalist or P firm from outside, they would fall on their face. So that was that gap that we were trying to fill, which the fund, the angel network made sense for us to fill right in there because we knew, as John knew, a lot of members of the community that liked that, that gap right in there. How challenging was it in the early days to recruit members that – perhaps maybe weren't familiar with angel investing and what to look for in companies. How did you recruit folks to be a part of the angel network? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting because some of it was easy. Accounting firms, law firms, they, they were going to do it because, you know, we, you have to be part of it. But the real f- uh, membership fund raising part was Hirschbiel because everybody trusted him. And it was, we had a guy who had an experience experience level, who was above reproach, who was completely respected. And when he would talk to people, people that weren't really sure what was going on, trusted Paul. And that probably led to, he won't tell you this, but probably 80% of our members, I'd have to guess, came in from Paul. And, and you know, I took the easy ones, the accounting <laughs> firms and the law firms. He took the tough ones. And, and those people that Paul um, brought in are still the strength of the network. Well, John, you're, you're you're very generous in that, but there are some very large members of our network that were in your world, and you had done a lot of work with them. And without them, we wouldn't be at ninety million invested now. You know, we'd be much less because he brought in some the, the heavy hitters, the high rollers for us. Some people who've done an incredible job for our economy for a very long time. Yep, exactly. This has been part one of Hunter's conversation with John and Paul. So make sure to come back for the next part of the talk here on 757 Bytes. 757 CoLab is a collaborative vehicle focused on growing an interconnected, inclusive, and impactful entrepreneurial ecosystem. 757 CoLab manages and coordinates the activities of three resources. 757 Angels, 757 Accelerate, and 757 Startup Studios.